Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors. And you can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee, and you can head over to their website at fulcrumcoffee.com and check out their subscriptions. They have an amazing variety that you could choose from and have coffee delivered to your house every month. Everything from light growth subscription to espresso to all brands, single origin. They even have a sunset subscription, a jazz alley night subscription. It's a really cool curated coffee experience that can be delivered to your door. And you can get a discount by adding the code Alfred Studio whenever you check out from the website. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters from Seattle. Check them out. Sean Kurunero is an artist born in 1984 in Toronto, Canada. He centralizes drawing in his practice, exploring both the graphic and conceptual potentials of the medium. Sean's works engage with Western geometric abstraction, Eastern landscape painting, and the artist's own interest in comic books. In referencing these genres, he is interested in the narrative potentials of the mark based on context. Sean's self-published graphic novels are Burn Man and Fool's Wish. He received his BFA from Concordia University in Montreal. His national and international exhibitions include Cooper Cole in Toronto, Koki Arts in Tokyo, Ribordi Contemporary in Geneva, Skarsdet in New York, Brand New Gallery in Milan, Martos Gallery in New York, and Night Gallery in Los Angeles. Sean and I talk about being in bands, Canada and New York City, Drawing, zines, skateboarding, rawness, painting, and more. Here's our conversation. Like, how did you, when you were coming up, how did you find out about, we're not find out about, not talking about just understanding or seeing someone's work, but like if you were going to read a review or where did you sort of get info on artists before there was so much content online? Yeah, it was just going to, like in high school, there was this, there's like the bookstore you'd go to, like chapters, and you just go in the magazine section and look at whatever art magazines you can find. And then they had like a tiny section of, of art books, but, you know, it was just Salvador Dali and Picasso. <laughs> it's like the Barnes and Noble section. They always have the same two bookshelves of like art books yeah exactly like it's much bigger now but back then it was very small but um yeah i spent in university i went to school in concordia in montreal Mm -hmm. and then i spent a lot of time in the library just reading as many different books on artists that i found interesting and kind of like learning how they they did it how like what their trajectory was and um yeah so it was more just reading about other artists experiences and how 
they got to do what, yeah, what they do. And like, I learned a lot from that, I guess. Yeah. Well, and that, those are books, right? So those are written pieces usually about the art. I mean, sometimes there would be interviews, but I don't think. Yeah. No, no, these books had interviews with them. Yeah. Like, from like, like David Hockney and like your interviews with him and like how like him like in school and then like awards he won that led him to LA to and so on. Yeah. Um, or like Raymond Pettibone doing making zines and being in the music scene and kind of um and so then like then I would make a zine and like because I was doing a lot of drawings figurative drawings then and then that was my way of like putting it out there yeah well i guess that i mean i was excited to talk to you about this you know the dichotomy of like the graphic novel zine stuff that you have done and, and do and then you know your paintings and that stuff but i guess we're going to jump in a little earlier than expected no, yeah. but um did i the the main portal of of getting into that discussion, I thought would be, um, you know, did you, did you come to it through the music side of, you know, being in like say punk stuff? I mean, you mentioned Raymond Pettibone. So it's like, which came first, the Pettibone or the black flag? You know what I mean? Like how does someone enter that world of him? Is it through the fine art world or is it through, you know, Oh, that's the guy who did the Sonic youth cover, you know? <laughs> I think, yeah, like I'm sure I saw, I definitely saw the Sonic Youth cover, but I didn't know who did it. And I didn't really care. Like I was more into comics when I was younger. And then it was until later on, I think there were those like Art 21s yeah. early on. And it was like, yeah, I remember watching his and I really liked that. And there was like Barry McGee and Margaret Kilgallen. Like I was interested in that kind of scene for a while, that East Bay art style. Skateboarding, public stuff, like street yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I was that's what I was doing too. I was skateboarding, playing music. So it made sense to me. And I wasn't that interested in painting at the time. Um more yeah. drawing. Yeah. So you you were really interested in, you know, because I've seen the stuff you've done with ink and, you know, that side of things. And, you know, if someone looked at your paintings, like the, the thing that I noticed, like, I guess you want to tie a thread between the two in your mind when you see something. It's like the natural thing to do. It's like, oh, what's the what's reverberating here? And to me, it was like rawness. Like, cause you use some raw canvas or there's like a rawness of the material or there's, there's something raw about the paintings. And then obviously there's like a visual rawness to a zine or, you know, the working with ink and the graphic sensibility of that kind of like straightforward drawing where it's yeah, there's right like, on the paper. Yeah. There's an immediacy to those elements that I think I'm drawn to a lot. Like having raw canvas is almost like just working on paper you like get right into it yeah so it was always drawing for me and then um it at this point i see the graphic novel stuff and the painting stuff is separate i i know there's a thread in my mind but the way like i i want 
to just put my paintings in the show. Like I don't really want my comics in the show as well. And just and vice versa. I don't want my paintings in my comics. Right. Yeah. They work in different ways. Um, I think they just, yeah, exactly. They work in different ways and they're stronger as as their own thing. But yeah. I do both at the same time. Like Yes. I'm and they doing, mean a lot to you creatively. Yeah. yeah. Which can be, I think it's great to have that separation in a way and where they feed, but they're not, they don't have to be forced upon each other. Like soccer is a big part of my life. I'm not showing photographs of like me out in the field with the kids in my shows, you know, but once in a while I will paint a soccer field or there will be some sports related thing in the work. It's not forced, but it it, could seep into your work like a certain color or shape or an idea, but you don't, yeah, you don't want to like force it. And I'm just not, I'm, I used to try to force it together, but I feel like I've gone to a point where I have a balance where I can separate the two and just focus on each project of like whatever's needed. And um, yeah, I'm, I feel much better about it now. It's nice to have a little separation of, I mean, some people do that too, where, you know, they'll have like a side thing that they want to do creatively that doesn't have to be in that same light. There's not the pressure. Yeah, exactly. Of, you know, like if you're a fine artist, like showing in galleries, you know, doing something that's on the side. Like I make paper flowers all the time. Like I do these sculptures of, of like, you know, they're just uh, things made out of paper. I'll yeah. do like, you know, records or I'll make pencils and erasers just all out of paper. I never really show them. And, yeah. you know, it's, but it's nice to be able to do something like that, that you're into the craft of it, or there's something like fulfilling about it, it scratches an itch, but it doesn't have to be seen. And, and you inevitably, I think it's human nature. People will say like, oh, well, why don't you show those too? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, and I did try to show them together and I, it was fine. Forced. Yeah. It was just like, it's not what I want. Um, and I like that, like comic scene they don't care what's happening in the art world and the art world doesn't care what's happening in the comic world um i like having that separation it's like yeah yeah, less pressure and you can kind of jump i can jump between the two um right yeah Yeah. and i'm i'm assuming and this may be a very wrong assumption but judging by your influences and what you're doing and that you might be interested in music. Yeah. Yeah. So like <laughs> when I was living in New York, I was playing in a punk band. And so that was like part of my, my life for a while, just like, like painting during the day and then playing music at night. Um, Were you, you gigging around the city and stuff? Yeah. We played a bunch of shows. Um, we played in, I think we played one gallery. We played at Martos. That was, I think that was our first show. And then, yeah, then we just played like bars and concert halls and, um, yeah. What instrument did you play? I was playing drums. Drums? Yeah. I don't know why I pegged you as a bassist. <laughs> no, no, we didn't have any bassists. Just drums, guitar, and singing. Oh, yeah. man. Drums and guitar. I mean, how many bands have just drums and guitar? I mean, White Stripes, that kind of like, you know, rawness. Was it kind of raw? I mean, it's punk, so. 
Yeah, it was punk. It wasn't like White Stripes. Um, it was like we were uh, really into like the Electric Deads. Don't know. Um, it's like this Swedish punk band from the 80s. Um, but yeah, my band was called Diet Choke. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, it's good. Pretty good. So uh, are you still... And okay, so the question is too, as you know, there's a lot of differences between the rawness of maybe the work on paper and those things that you do and then the work in the studio on paintings. Is your sensibilities as a music fan span the gaps? Is it is it broad or is it pretty, you know, are you like a punk guy? No, yeah, I'm not like a punk guy, but I listen to a lot of it as a teenager, but... Uh, yeah, I've listened, I listen to everything more or less. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's like, it's not that broad though. Like, I don't know a lot of, I don't listen to techno. Uh, wow. What is techno these days? (laughs) I remember when techno was, remember when techno was like a, you could say techno and you knew what the music was like. Now I don't even know. It's so broad. Yeah. What could probably be techno. Is that like a general term for electronic-based music? Yeah, I guess so. Or like house. <laughs> I don't know like, why I just said it, but yeah, no, I'm just just curious. an example of like, yeah, yeah, like I don't. I guess I just picture, I don't know, a certain dance scene. But um, all that to say is that yeah, I listen to a lot of different music, but not techno. <laughs> yeah, remember when there wasn't there a little. Uh, sorry, this is going down a rabbit hole. But I feel like there was a little moment where punk and, and electronic was like mixing a little bit. I think was it a band called Atari Teenage Riot, maybe? And then never heard of them. I, there was a band I used to love called Brainiac. Do you remember that band? No. Oh, man, they were so good. But it was a mixture of kind of like a punk ethos. And they had yeah. some, I don't know if it was electronic, but they were tweaking it a little bit. Yeah. Cool. It's a it's it's funny that kind of music it's so deep you know there's so many and now I guess that we stretched a long time from the genesis of that of like that punk sort of thing there's so many offshoot like you were talking about like a Swedish like I had never even heard of them you know what I mean it's pretty cool how diverse that music has kind of you know disseminated yeah 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 it's yeah it's cool. <laughs> Yeah, there's even bands in Japan right now that are still playing that kind of punk music, but it's like, you know, like a hundred teenage girls playing the instruments, and it's like death metal or punk. It's pretty amazing. It just keeps yeah. going. Yeah. So how um, did you get into, uh, I, I, I'm guessing that the ink stuff and like drawing and comics and all that was like way before quote unquote fine art. Yeah, it was. I mean, how did uh, the dabbling into the fine art thing happen? Did it was that before school, like before college? Was it earlier on when you started getting interested in art, or was it? Yeah, in high school, um, like I said, like the only way I, you could learn about art was going to like the bookstore there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it was just I just got more interested in in that, and so. I uh, decided to go to art school for my BFA in Montreal. And in Canada at the time, um, it was like the Royal Art Lodge was the thing. Um, what years are we talking, roughly? 
what year was that? that was or do like you not two, want me to date you? 2003. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, when I started school, like, yeah, like, Marcel Zama was, like, maybe just getting big or had, or had just gotten really big. And that Royal, Royal Art Lodge was, like, every magazine, every Canadian magazine was talking about it. Um, so everyone at school was doing like surreal figurative work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure it, it spread around. I mean, my college roommate went to the Yale Norfolk program in the late nineties mm-hmm. and John Plipchuk was in that and, and he learned about those guys and he brought back some of their art. I guess they traded art and a cassette tape of Eyeball Hurt and the Medicine, which was their band that they, one of the bands, I guess. Yeah. And I remember all of us just being really kind of like, it just felt so weird and different and interesting that we were really engaged by it, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure it spread up there. Yeah, and it seemed like something that like anyone could do if you had a group of friends or I guess they were family. Um, And... They were also in Winnipeg, so it's like, kind of feels like the middle of nowhere that all this work is coming from an unexpected place. Um, But yeah, so that was a big influence on a lot of people in school, and I was kind of, I was definitely influenced by that as well, and I was doing these like surreal figurative drawings for a long time. Um. And just using ballpoint pen, it was like from, you know, you use a, a pen to take notes in class and then get bored and start doodling. And I always liked that aesthetic that the ballpoint pen had. So then I started doing that in my own drawings and um, it kind of spread from there. And I started uh, showing the ballpoint pen drawings in Montreal and then it led to... Um, yeah, being like featured in different magazines. I was on the cover of Domus magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, and they did an interview with me back then. And then there was this New York magazine, Tokion. I remember. They, they sent a photographer to come take photos of me in my studio. And at the time, I was like, this is crazy. I was like... <laughs> But yeah, and that was from draw- like my ballpoint pen drawings, and then <clears throat> got to New York. Um, yeah, my next step was like going to New York. A friend of mine, a high school friend of mine, um, he had moved there early, early on, and I would go visit him. Um, he's an artist as well, and and um, yeah, he kind of showed me around, and then I was like, I gotta, I wanted to make the move as well. <clears throat> and then, so I came down, I got an internship at the drawing center. Nice. Um, because my whole thing was drawing, and I was like, just like researched it, and a lot of artists that I really liked had shown there, like uh, like Kara Walker, and uh, yeah, Marcel Zama, and I think you showed there. Um, but then, so then when I was introduced to that st- to that world, that uh, way, that the drawing center like had a way of like uh, presenting drawings that were unconventional, and 
kind of like re made me like rethink what drawings could be. Like you'd see like a Dieter Roth uh, reel that he scratched into, and they would play that, and that was like a drawing, you know? Yeah. Um, Open the door a little, right, for your yeah. expectations of what drawing was. And then there was this amazing show at the MoMA that really blew my mind. Um, it was called, um, I think it was called On Drawing, and it was curated by Catherine de Zagar. Probably not pronouncing her name right, but... Um, and again, yeah, it was just showing all these different uh, approaches and philosophies on drawing and mark-making and and from, like, different cultures and times. And so... Um, it, that made me, yeah, like, uh, look at my surreal figurative drawings and kind of, like, rethink, like, kind of just ask questions to myself, like, why am I doing this? What does this mean to me? And <clears throat> it it led me to think more about the materials, to think more about ink. And and then, so then I, I, I got rid of the figurative aspect and just focused on mark making and ink um and ink kind of became the subject matter for for what i was starting to do and then i started to make these like dot works where i was just like putting dots on on paper <clears throat> and thinking about um that as like the the origin point for all of mark making like you start with the dot um, something that's like a, a boiled down uh, a gesture and something that like anyone could do. Um, yeah, and <clears throat> it's a uh, that kind of anyway. It just it's that kind of started me on a. a a whole different path to like where I am today, I guess, with my work. Yeah, um, you know, I noticed in in some of what was written about your work that it popped up a couple of times about this idea of like the influence of like Chinese ink drawing or something, and yeah. like linking it maybe to your heritage of like because yeah. you're partially Chinese and Sri Lankan, right? Yeah, my mom is from Hong Kong and my dad is from Sri Lanka, and. Yeah, when I started to think about ink as the subject matter, it led me to look at um, Chinese ink paintings, and that was a a nice way to connect it to family. Yeah. Um, but also explore a whole side of painting that was never taught in school. Right. Um, and and I'm still. Um, that like those are still my like stepping stones for like all the work that I make now going forward and like there are still things that I think about there's certain like um Chinese philosophies that I I think about when I approach my work now and there's always like I think about the the lighting in those landscape paintings like they're always very misty yeah. and because it's in a mountain setting and so then like I'm I'm always 
trying to achieve that kind of soft light in my work. So there's like always like a, a, a thinness to the paint that I'm trying to, to, to use to create that soft light. To Right. Yeah. I'm interested in, you know, that the idea of where sort of like a connection to like, because I don't necessarily have it <laughs> as mm-hmm. being like, you know, a white person with mixed of all sorts of like European stuff, you know, this idea of like maybe entering the canon of art and like learning of art history and then realizing that just giant swath that's just left out of it. And then like in the case of like you talking about connecting to Chinese, you know, ink drawing or, or that kind of like calligraphic painting of like where that enters into your visual um, sort of like Rolodex in relation to, you know, a connection to a sort of like a deeper genetic, like ethnic relationship to those places, like how that crossroads happens, like when that moment happened, like, I don't know that oh, yeah. on drawing show, <clears throat> that on drawing yeah. show, was that like a, 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 a point to where you're like, Oh yeah, there's some of this stuff that I didn't even look at or think of, you know, in relation to a current contemporary art practice. Yeah, for sure. Like those, like that show, uh, and being, uh, immersed in the drawing center, that kind of that led me to th- think more about the tools that I was using. It's like why why am I using ink? I could use anything out like a pencil or whatever, like f- anything. I I could I could use any tool, any anything to make a mark. And then so when I thought more about ink, yeah, it was like an aha moment. When I was like, oh, of course, there's like this whole Chinese landscape painting that I I like grew up looking at that stuff because it was like you know kind of it wasn't a, it was a little bit around our home but also like you go to like a a restaurant or something or other family members places and you would see that those kind of uh those paintings but um <clears throat> it was yeah once i started to to dive more into into that um it it just yeah it opened a lot of things up for me and and it continues to do that there's this one philosophy that i learned about it's called the floating perspective um where you see in one painting you see multiple perspectives of of an object and in the case of these chinese landscape paintings it's the mountain so you'd see like a 360 view of the mountain in one image and like this was like 10 centuries before cubism. Um, so it's like, it's kind of interesting. And and also like in those those uh, early landscape paintings, they always had like little cartoons, like a fisherman or something. And like, so these are like super like, for me, like early cartoons um, that, yeah, I, I really could relate to because it's like you have this like cartoon image and you have this um washy gestural landscape yeah um so i imagine that being really inspiring or like exciting when those doors are i mean because personally you know having zero ethnic relationship to it when i first saw japanese prints i loved them i don't know there was something i just loved about that line the edge and then also 
you know, that that sort of multi-perspectival thing happening in the picture plane, which seems so like different, you know what I mean? To where you could have like a house and then a view of the river. And there was like a, a shifting perspective happening. And then like in studying ukiyo-e and Japanese prints and stuff like that, you know, I became aware of like Chinese landscape painting and then painting on screens and was interested in how they were similar but different. Mm-hmm. And like there's all these different ways of thinking about how an image can be constructed that enters the fold that maybe, you know, we weren't taught in school or we weren't even really that aware of before, you know. And then like I remember in college, someone was really into Persian miniatures and that was the first time I had seen images of those and that kind of blew my mind I was like wow that's and then you know I remember around that time I was aware of Roger Brown that Chicago you know painter and I was like oh there's something like kind of similar going on here with the density of the picture plane and all these people you know it it, it becomes exciting when you can triangulate all these different ways of making from different places admittedly I know nothing about Sri Lankan art but I'm curious if if you investigated knew of it if there anything around or I I'm no, yeah, I haven't. It. I haven't gotten into that side of uh, my heritage yet. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's something that I've been. I'm meaning to do, but I just haven't yet. But what was interesting too is like seeing, like in Canada, you you're taught about Chinese landscape or. Canadian landscape painting like the group of seven is like the the main uh, Canadian painting history that you learn about so it was like early on in school you're like I'm I remember like seeing those landscape paintings too yeah and so it's like a reoccurring um, thing throughout my my life where it's like it's always like these landscape paintings but <clears throat> they they kind of come and go because, like, yeah, you learn about them in high school and it's really boring, and then you learn about it later on, and it's like it kind of gets a little more interesting. Yeah, um, it's always more interesting as you get older, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> my my son was doing a history project yesterday, homework, and he, you know, he's like, God, why do I have to do this? Mm-hmm. And then I went in and I, we were looking at it. I was like, hey, this is pretty interesting stuff, right? And like he, I think he bought into me being a little excited about it. But I, and then I thought to myself, if I had this in high school, I think I would probably be 1% interested. <laughs> but as you get older, you're just like, you know, oh, that's really cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the idea of like camping and like bringing all your paints and then you're like, like, having a fire and drinking and then you're like making a painting and (laughs) carrying that around and to think of like these Chinese landscape painters these like Chinese these like philosophers like they're like walking around these mountains having fires using the charcoal that from the the embers and stuff like to make these paintings it's it's kind of a yeah you start to build these stories in your head that kind of make it yeah I don't know more interesting too um not to you know take a left turn here but in a parallel to that did you experience because i did uh did you experience music in that way to where maybe when you were younger there were certain things that you felt like you just came into contact with i remember for me it was around college when i started djing i was a jazz dj in undergrad and then you know more music was sort of coming in like just I was experiencing more and I was like, Oh my God, there's all that, like there's dub music. I didn't even know 
dub reggae. I didn't know what it was, you know, and it mm-hmm. just was so exciting. And then you start to like go down like a loop of, you know, finding different things based on different places and how this music moved from here to there. Did you diversify your music a bit based on a similar way that you did with like thinking about artwork? Yeah, a little bit. Like you, you have a band that you like, and then you see like who influenced them or or members of that band branch off and have their side groups and like yeah um and then yeah seeing like learning about like their influences and kind of like getting more um yeah going and expanding um but in terms of like playing music it was always yeah pretty straightforward like it's always just been like guitar drums singing yeah um yeah, I guess there's something about that way of approaching music that resonates to me. Is that um in in the realm of punk, I mean, is that just aggression and being able to like I don't be know energetic not, and get that? Yeah, out? I think maybe energetic, not too much aggression. Um, but also just like yeah, getting to things, like getting like doing it yourself and like getting the work done. Um Yeah kind of like not waiting to get permission to do something. Um, right. It's kind of been my approach to a lot of things. Well, drumming is, I would think as a drummer too, there's you know, maybe I, this might be a total wrong assumption too, that, you know, if you're a guitar player, I would imagine it's easier to stay in a lane, but as a drummer, I would think like just percussion, percussion and, and thinking of rhythms it would take you on a passport around the different places a little quicker than it would on other instruments because it's such an integral part to yeah. every single kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean like I only really started playing drums in New York for this band and then, Oh, that's because, when you started. Yeah. And then oh, because wow. of it, yeah, you're right. Like then it's like very easy to be like, Oh, if I hold it like this or like tap, tap it this way and then it starts to sound more jazz or country or whatever like um yeah so um but before that yeah i've been playing i was playing guitar i'm still playing guitar um but what was interesting about playing drums and then painting at the same time was like there's a certain like rhythmic aspect to like the paintings I was doing too where it's I was doing a lot of just these dot marks like just dotting uh, surfaces and like so you have you have this repetition you have uh, a a rhythm that's kind of created um, through this this process and I I felt a lot of similarities when I was like learning to play drums and then figuring out um what kind of work i was making yeah i mean they're drum patterns right there's a kind yeah. of like you know there's a pattern to it a lot of times so in and that it's so working. stripped down that it's just like you have these sticks and you have your your drum set and like i just had at the time i was just using like a, a pen and a paper or a piece of paper or mm-hmm. slowly like got into more into canvas and then um yeah, expanded in that way. Did you ever get into 
sort of percussive like because if i look at one of your paintings that has a certain rhythm to it yeah i i in i i just do this i sometimes i think of music when i see images and i think less of maybe like a punk sort of aggressive ethos i think more of like a steve reich philip glass kind of like there's a beauty to it and there's a repetitive but ever evolving kind of like rhythm to that music and i mean does that seem like a stretch to sort of like it's, correlate the two yeah i mean like i'd never i would never think of it like that um it's true yeah like i there isn't that um i'm not looking for that aggressiveness or that even or even that kind of like punk fashion in my work it is more about um yeah like kind of like using taking like these simple elements to create something more complex to like use um kind of like intrinsically cheap materials to make something bigger um so like i'm always yeah i guess i've like i've i've experimented with like using different materials um but it's always more interesting to me when I just kind of keep it simple and in a way just like let the materials start to interact and like as much like I, I have all these ideas and that I like that I'm thinking about um, before and after uh, I'm working but then the painting kind of like takes over and and lets me know if it it doesn't really care if I'm like, I want to like inject these ideas onto the work. A lot of the times that doesn't make a, make for a good painting. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not interested in like a didactic work. Um, and the more I kind of just let go and like, just trust the process and let the painting take over, then it, yeah, it, it really, it, I can really like hit um but I don't know what I'm talking about right now but I thought you were going to say like a flow state or hit like a rhythm Yeah, yeah, the like painting, get into the like he's doing it in a way. Like you're starting it off and then it's just kind of like doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think cuz I've made so many paintings at this point that I know where certain tangents will leave me will lead me and and that uh yeah you yeah you sure you get into a certain flow or like in a zone but even then you just it's like yeah like then you come back the next day and then the painting will let you know if it's finished or not finished yeah and it's really interesting when you like you make something and then a couple of years later, then you're like, oh, yeah, that is a good painting. Um, right. That's Takes always a bizarre. Yeah. Like, oh. but yeah, they kind of talk back to you over time. I think personally, when I you know look at the paintings, to me, beauty is a big part of it. I mean, they're aesthetically pleasing and there's a certain lyric bend to shapes and flow and... I don't know. It seems like it would be an ingredient. I don't know how much of that, if you're just going to say, well, like, yeah, I don't care about beauty. I'm just making shapes. No, I, yeah, no, I definitely think about 
like not necessarily beauty, but like Agnes Martin has always been a big influence on, on my work. And I always appreciated the way she kind of talks, talked about beauty, at least in the, the books that I've read about her. Yeah. Um, how it's like, it's all, yeah, it's like, in, it's in your mind. Um, but Wait, yeah. you can't you can't dip. That was like dipping your toe in the pool there, and you just turned around and walked away. <laughs> we got to dive in there because if I'm not mistaken, Agnes Martin said that basically everything's about beauty. It's either about something being beautiful or the lack of beauty in the world. Isn't if I'm not mistaken? But I it, was it, thinking more was, about the one where the story of like her showing like a rose to a little girl, saying, "Is this?" rose beautiful and then the girl's like yeah it is and then then she like puts the rose behind her back and she's like is the rose still beautiful and it's like yeah it is it's like it's in your mind it's pretty good um yeah there's like yeah a lot of like stories of her talking about beauty and sorry um yeah but also like her approach to painting and uh, kind of like navigating in the art world and and um, yeah, just the way that she she made her paintings have, that's always been a very big influence on me. Yeah, I think it the the artist's world, not the art world in general, would be better off if everyone read a little Agnes Martin. I think. Yeah, there was like a quote, another quote from her where she's like, she was saying how, like, she doesn't fit in to like the New York art scene, but like she she doesn't want to make, she wants to make like non-aggressive paintings for non-aggressive collectors. Yeah. Um, and just like tucked away in a little corner. Um, yeah. It was, it's like not about bravado. It's the opposite of bravado, right? It's about kind of like a quiet. I think any, it, like take a musician, any band that does something very quiet and, and slow always seems to me like they're really putting themselves out there. Like it's, you know, it's not yeah. an easy path in a way. Remember that band Codeine on Sub Pop? No. <laughs> they were kind of like an indie rock band, but they just, everything was really slow. Yeah. And like that fascinated me growing, growing up and being into that kind of scene of music because most of it was like Juno 44, like Fugazi, like that kind of stuff that was like more intense and upbeat. And then you had like a band that was a similar ethos in a way, but just slowed down to the point to where you can't get amped up. It almost like soothes you into, you know, questioning that other side. And I think her work does that beautifully of it forces you to either slow down and get into the, you know, the meditative aspect of that work or you yeah. just disengage from it. But I, I think that's a, that's the description, like to slow down. I think that's what you kind of want from your paintings or like for when you go see artwork, like something that will slow you down. Um, I think that's always really interesting, even though, yeah, even though like thinking about um, music or whatever, but like coming from like a punk side of things, it's obviously not slow, but um, 
I think with, yeah, I guess with music, I am looking for a certain energy. And then with artwork, like paintings, I am looking to slow down and be more meditative and thoughtful. Um, yeah. Yeah. The real, the real connection to punk, I think, in relation to that is that today, as you could say, that anything slow or requiring a viewer to take time is, is very punk. Because nowadays, everything is so fast. Like, no one wants to spend more than like a second in front of anything. People's attention spans has been so shortened. Yeah, that, that's funny. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of beautiful when you, you know, like sometimes I'll go to Dia in Beacon and, and see those mm-hmm. Agnes Martin paintings and you just, it's, it's like meditating in a way to where you have to just empty the stuff out and just sit there and calmly look, you know, or else you don't, you miss yeah, it. Yeah. And you feel refreshed after you see that work and especially the Dia Beacon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then you walk in the other room and it's the Chamberlain like smushed car pieces and you're like, ah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like going to see a Brian Eno show and you walk into the next room and Fugazi's playing, you know, it's like, whoa, like it's a sudden turn, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's funny. Then you go back over to the Robert Ryman room and you're like, wait, so, you know, it's just like a lot. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a very sudden shift into different worlds if you are really buying into those worlds, you know. I'm sure a lot of people walk through the Robert Ryman room and it's just like, what the, f-? you know, this is BS and just walk right through. I have a funny story, um, so like when I going back to like my early work when I was when I first got to New York and like making those those uh ink dots on paper yeah and um I was making all the work in my small room uh and I was sharing the apartment with four other people <laughs> so um I couldn't make any large works but I wanted and after seeing like the show at the MoMA about drawing I started to think about uh, making a more like three-dimensional drawing. And so I started to do these uh, little like beads, like little, uh, it's like anything that kind of looked like a dot, like couscous or pepper or little stones. And then I would uh, soak them in ink and like dry them. And then I would scatter them on different surfaces, kind of using the the floor as like the the paper right like the, the idea of the paper the surface uh for this three-dimensional drawing and then i started to do it outside um uh like on snow or like grass or whatever and then i love the dia beacon and um i like my wife and i or like she was my girlfriend then and we would go camping up in beacon and then we would always go to the dia uh, whenever we were there, and then, and so I was making all these like these three D drawings with ink beads scattered on surfaces. So then I brought some to the dia beacon, and then I scattered them outside of like there was like a platform there like where pe- you can like go yeah. and just sit, and I scattered them there, and like documented it like there's like footage of me doing it, and then photos of the piece and then like a minute later security was there and they (laughs) took it all away yeah i'm surprised you were able to get that far in because they're pretty tight yeah they were just like what the fuck is this and then (laughs) shut it down (laughs) but then like and then i made a book of it and 
And so there's like a zine that documents this work. And then I got to show these ink beads and my first solo show in New York at uh, Blackston Gallery. And so I was like... And it was that? It was the ink beads, yeah. And then nice. the and the booklet that I made that kind of connect that of the work that I did at the the work that I I did at the Be- uh, Dia Beacon. Um, that's pretty cool. I mean, do you still? I mean, I, obviously, that seems like a maybe performative thing that you did that was based on this material that you were exploring, and it seemed very specific. But is that something you still try to do, or you still do as some sort of like? you know, in the public realm or pieces that, you know, work outside the canvas or paper? Uh, at this point, it's just, um, like, publications. It's, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been doing... I stopped doing those ink bead pieces a couple of years ago, um, but I did them for a long time, um, and I got to show them in... Yeah, like, I showed them in Italy and... Uh, different galleries in the States, Canada, Mexico. Um, yeah, it was like, it was, it was fun. It was an interesting piece like to, that could travel. And like every time, uh, yeah, like you would, it would be depending on like where it is, like there's like the lighting would affect it. The, the surface would change it. Um, when I did the show at Blackston, it was like, um, at the opening, it was like, everybody wanted to touch it. And then, so everyone started like moving it around. And so then it was like, it was just interesting to see how it, um, it existed in the world, like how people interacted with it. Yeah. Um, and now it's just all documented, which is good. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a very cool project. I mean, I and I love personally. I mean, I think you know we both. I yeah, I think you mentioned we both grew up skateboarding, and to me, zines and like any like public like that kind of stuff was always really fun and cool. You know, I just loved like that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something you're still doing, right? You're still like doing sort of books or zines or like yeah, I'm like still that. self. Yeah, I'm still really interested in self publishing. Um, yeah, like, uh, so like, even in, um, that was another way of like, like I didn't have a big space to make work back then. So making like, like a hundred zines and getting them out there was like a way of making a large work and having it seen. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just something, it's a way to like, kind of like give your work some clarity um, when you have like all these different pieces and elements um, all in one one object in a book. Um, it kind of like can create a context and yeah. So there's like, there's a book that I'm working on now um, where I'm going to, travel to different Chinatowns across North America and photograph um, the signage and that'll be like a reference point for a new series of abstract shape paintings um, and then you know, I'll, I'll just I'll collect it all into a, a book and 
Um, yeah, so that's something I'm working on now that's like a very like uh, idea-based work of mine. Yeah. Like that's the, the most like conceptual uh, that I'm... The only like, yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's one of the things that I'm working on now. That sounds like a cool project and a chance to sample different food from different Chinatowns. <laughs> yeah. How's the, just, how's the Chinese food in Montreal? There's a, I would imagine it's pretty good because Toronto was pretty great as far as like the food there. How's uh, Montreal food? Uh, yeah, Chinese food. It's okay. Um, yeah, I would say it's okay. Montreal. Uh, is it unauthentic? Like, is it like Fujianese? Like, you know how like no, America, no, it's, it's all that kind of Chinese food that's like not Chinese food? It's authentic. Se. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. I think uh, the stuff in on the food in Ontario, I think was better. I think the food in New York was really good too. In Montreal, it's like, I guess like now it's like a sandwich city. Everyone eats sandwiches here. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. There's always a new sandwich place that opens up. It's really I wonder funny. why why is that the the go-to for Montreal? I don't know. I think they're really into baked goods, I guess. So you Eating on the go, too? Is eating on the go big? Sandwiches are great for like taking with you. Maybe it's cuz of COVID, I don't know, but like oh, Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that's been good. Um, yeah. What is your favorite kind of food? <laughs> uh, potatoes. Join the club. <laughs> mashed, mashed potatoes. Mashed is your go-to? Yeah. Are you a coffee drinker or tea? Yeah, I'm drinking coffee right now. <laughs> See, I knew we had a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big cup you got there. Not big enough. For the weekend I had, it's not big enough. It's like, it's like a McDonald's <laughs> large. Yes. It's it's pretty big. It, it's bigger on Zoom than in real life. <laughs> I have tiny hands. No, I'm kidding. Um, so what are you working on now? Like, oh, and the other thing I want to ask you about too is the Celine collab thing was pretty cool. What was that? Yeah. Was that fun to do? I mean, that's such a cool brand. Like they do pretty nice stuff. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, and how they, how did they, that come about? They had seen my work and then, um, yeah, we just started, we just kept in touch. Um, and then it was like, it was a very, it's like, a, it was a really long process. It was like, they saw my work and then years went by and then they decided to buy some paintings for their store in Paris. Mm-hmm. So now there's, yeah, I think there's four or five pieces up in their store in Paris. And then they asked if I wanted to do a clothing line kind of based off those paintings. So you said, said yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, they kind of were just like, I mean, I didn't have like too much say. Like, I I had my own ideas. I'm like, let's do all this stuff, and they're like, okay, hey, we're just gonna do this. And then <laughs> I was like, you great, said, okay, <laughs> fine, all right. Yeah, <laughs> they wanted and, it to be what they liked, right? So they became aware of your the certain works, and then they were like, this is what we want. 
Yeah, I think like they're they're working a lot. They're working more with artists these days. Like before me, they did something with Christian Mark Clay. He did a clothing line with them too. God, that is really cool. But you would never expect that combination, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Speaking of music and art. Yeah, and like his and like comic appropri- appropriation. Like, That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of connections there. He'd be a good person to talk to, huh? Yeah. Get that guy's story. Do you know him? Do you want to put that? No, I never met him. But I like his work. Um, So he was before you, and then afterwards they started doing more, I guess. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it was was good. Um, I imagine that exposes you to some other people, too, that might not normally have found out about your work. Yeah, I mean, not, it's funny, like, yeah, not much changed in that sense. Like, it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on my stuff, and it was a good experience. I've had a, I feel like there's, like, moments where I'm like, this is going to change everything. This is the next level. And then it happens, and then you're like, okay, just got to keep working now. Um, there was a time where like, uh, David Sally had contacted me and I never met him before. And then he came by the studio and was like, do you want to be in this show that I'm curating at Scarstead? And I was like, yep, that sounds good. And then, yeah. And then the show happens and it was really a great experience and it was really nice meeting him and a lot of really good artists in that show. And then afterwards, like you go back into your studio and keep working. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, uh, the anticlimactic part of any of this, I think, is that, yeah, you know, like I, I'm, I've been fortunate enough in my career to have a few really cool things happen. You know what I mean? Like you do Mm -hmm. something really cool. And, and then after you're, you're just, there's that afterwards of like, Oh yeah. Back to the studio. Same but stuff, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, um, like we keep going back to music and like, that's what I would experience playing shows. Like our biggest show we played was at Webster Hall and it was like, this is amazing. And then, but then you like realize like my favorite moments were like, just uh, like having band practice. And yeah. I think it's the same with paintings. Like the fa- my my favorite parts are like being in the studio and like, just being there and working on stuff and I don't know, whatever, listening to music, drinking coffee there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at this point, like if I can keep doing that, then I'm pretty happy. Pretty. I was going to say, you know what that means? If that's really what it, what drives you, it just means that you're a real artist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's people who, want to get well known and then as soon as they have the chance they'll have the assistants do all the work and then they'll go out and do the PR stuff or like the the schmoozing which is fine but that's what's driving them is they want to be social they want to meet people they want to get out there and they want to you know make those connections and all that and then there's the people who no matter what just go into the studio and make a network is the biggest thing and nothing is more tells you that more than when you do have some opportunities that expose you to more people or like great opportunities that you think like, Oh, this is going to propel 
my work into another dimension of people understanding or seeing it or experiencing it. But at the end of the day, really, the only thing that matters is like, you know, when you're in there making the stuff. So, yeah. And music, I think so many bands have been derailed by that. You know, it's like when they're younger and they're coming up, they have the energy and the music is like full of, you know, life and it's, it's, it's evolving and then they get really famous and then it becomes about all the other stuff. And then, you know, the writing, the music takes the back seat. So, yeah, you know, yeah, and, totally. which I'm sure you can't help it. I'm sure if you get so big, you know what I mean? That that's why you have a lot of people who get a lot of attention really quickly, like right after school or in their first record. And then it just falls apart because they, they can't manage all that, you know? Yeah. And it's no longer fun. Um, yeah, I think trying to maintain that and find, and find a balance there is really, um, important. That is the, uh, the greed and selfishness of artists. We want to be successful and we just want to have fun and no one tells us what to do. We get to tell everyone what we want to do. <laughs> we want to make our hours and you know, it's the beauty of the gig and you know, it's, it's funny that we, we kind of want that, but it makes sense that we want that. I think everyone really wants that. Yeah. But like you just gotta, you definitely have to work really hard. Like every one that is doing is successful, like works a lot harder than you think. And, and like I've worked at like so many other jobs where you put so much time and energy and you're like, if I just use that, uh, f that energy into my own work, uh, it would be a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, it's so easy to procrastinate and, and not put the time in, um, yeah, you got to work hard, man. You know, and that's a hard thing. If you're your own boss, you really got to drive that bus, you know? Yeah. So you got to make sure it's fun right. and like surprising. So you like keep making different work or trying different things. Yeah. Um, are you working on anything specific now? Um, just that, that one project, um, it's called Signs, the one that I'm, where I'm going to photograph different signage across North America, different different Chinatowns across North America, like um, San Francisco. How long do you expect to do that? Like, what's the time window? It's a year-long project. I got, uh, yeah, it's a year-long project that I, I have to, I have to present this book um, after a year. Got it. Um but and yeah, is COVID it's like, going to make that tricky at all, or is it okay? I yeah, it might make it tricky. <laughs> Everything but now, right? I'm just the main ones. Like I'm trying to go. I want to go to San Francisco. That's the first Chinatown in North America. Um, the one in in BC in Canada is the first one in Canada, and then the main ones are like I want to go to New York, Toronto, and Montreal. Um, just like the ones like kind of have meaning to me places where I lived yeah um, it's not it's not supposed to be a, a educational book it's really kind of like um, uh, bringing an autobiographical uh, element into formalist paintings like trying to uh, yeah inject some a uh, personal 
side to it. Um, yeah. Sounds like it's going to be pretty, pretty cool for the work and like in a good, a great experience, you know? Yeah. And then outside of that, I'm constantly like making these, yeah, I'm working on new paintings. Um, and yeah, drawing every day. So Every day. Sounds yep. good. Well, uh, when you come to New York to the Chinatown, maybe we can grab a coffee. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. Well, it was nice talking. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. Nice meeting you. <laughs>